Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to The Conversation. This is the last episode in a four-part series on the subconscious patterns or behaviors that arise from an incomplete self-identity, self-concept, a fractured self-concept. Oh, fractured self-concept. That sounds so heinous. Well, you need to understand that 98.98% of the people on the planet have an incomplete idea of who they are. It's just kind of been pieced together along the way, you know, informed by, you know, your peers and validated by your parents, guided by the the program. You know, you got to go with the program, right? You got to fit in, not rock the boat, get along with others, play nice. And in some cases, if you didn't go with the program, it was beaten into you. But your self-concept has been pieced together. You've adopted it along the way, and for better or worse, it is a collection of knee-jerk, habitually learned responses that you've adopted along the way in order to get out of childhood alive with the least amount of pain and hopefully with a little bit of pleasure. Most people are oriented towards avoiding pain. And just by our very nature as a human being, pain is a greater motivator than pleasure. Avoiding pain, that is. But back to my point, because your self-identity, your self-concept has been a haphazard construction, kind of pieced together along the way, no real blueprint, no real guide, it works where it works, and it certainly doesn't work where it doesn't work. And then sometimes, you know, a behavior or an idea works in one situation, and you try and use it in another situation, and it fails miserably. And that is why I think in a not-so-recent Gallup poll that 86% of the people, 90% of the people, said that they are not as happy as they could be, that their life is not as good as it could be. So this series that I've done on the unconscious or subconscious behaviors that uh, come up when your self-identity is confronted are behaviors that you've adopted or utilized along the way in order to cover up on the failings or the chinks in the armor, so to speak. These behaviors are based in fear, to cover up or push away fear. And because they're oriented around these behaviors, that is, since these behaviors are oriented around a threat response, they fall in the categories of fight, flight, freeze. Now, if you just found this podcast in this episode, this series actually begins back on episode 128, 128 and 129. I talk about the flight response and the behaviors that arise from basically running away, avoiding, you know, the situation. And then episode 131 was on the freeze response, the behaviors that arise when we dissociate from the pain, dissociate from the fear. And then in this episode, we're going to talk about the fight response, the aggressor response, or the defender response. And I have to say that these behaviors can cause the greatest amount of damage to your relationships, to your life, when they've gone unchecked. And they they certainly arise from a core belief, 
a limiting belief that you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not lovable. And when circumstances in life seem to point out that this might be true from your perspective, it seems like, you know, they're inferring that I'm not enough. We tend to go on the defense and in some cases lash out. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the behaviors that arise from when you are confronted about an aspect of your self-concept that you feel insecure about. You see, when you feel secure in who you are, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It's like, it's just your opinion, and I could give it, you know, a rip what you think. (laughs) Now, as I move forward, I have to say that it may take a certain amount of courage to look at yourself, to identify some of these behaviors that you know, and raise your hand saying, you know, I might have some of these behaviors. But to help you out, here's a tip, a way of looking at the situation, looking at yourself. Look at yourself and your behavior as an impartial observer. Like you're just a witness, a fly on the wall, and you're just watching and taking notes. Don't make a judgment. Don't make an assessment on whether you're a good person, a bad person, But just look on whether this pattern works for you, really works for you. Now, remember that these behaviors are an attempt for you to cover up the fear or push away the feeling of fear. And there are behaviors that we adopted along the way in order to, so we don't have to feel that unpleasantness. And first and foremost is the need to be right. The idea that you have the right answer, that you're Mr. or Mrs. Right, and you have to go out of your way to prove the other person wrong. Or you take great pride in saying, see, I was right. Now, there's a little caveat here. We all take pride in knowing what we know. We take pride in at least having some grasp on reality, and we like to be validated. But when we tend to go out of our way to prove the other person wrong, or we won't even listen to another point of view, and you have fights with your loved ones over who's right, that is a no-win scenario. Let me tell you why. If you prove that you're right and prove that your, your loved one is wrong, you basically have left them feeling as less than, that you don't respect them, that you don't value their, their point of view. You see, when you win an argument, with someone you love and cherish, by proving them wrong, you don't win. You just build resentment. Because oftentimes, it's not the fact that you are right so much as that you were unwilling to let go, and you kept beating and pushing the point until the other person gave up. You see, this goes back to what I have often said. You know, at this point in time, there's nearly 8 billion people on the planet, You know, I'm not sure who's doing the counting, but, (laughs) well, let's just say there's seven and a half, eight billion people on the planet. No two people have the same point of view. No two people have the same brain. Each person has a different set of references, a different perspective on reality. So how can any one person say that they have the purview on one point of view, on the right point of view, or the truth? Like, Who says that one truth is better than another? If you're absolutely right, that means everyone else on the planet is wrong, more than likely. Or if you get a large number of people to agree with you, then you have a small percentage 
of the overall that is actually in alignment with you or your point of view. You see, even though everyone has a different point of view, each point of view is valid in that person's experience, meaning that it works for them. They've arrived at it by a certain set of criteria. Who knows what it is, but it's their point of view. A close second to being right is the idea that you know the right way to do things and that if somebody else has a different way of doing it than the way you would do it, then they're wrong. Now, this is slightly different than having an argument or a point of view that you feel is right. But like I said, it's a close second. If I wanted to travel between point A and point B, let's say from Dallas to New York, there's an infinite number of ways I can get between here and there. Between flying and taking a boat and an aircraft, a bicycle, a canoe, there's different roads I can take. I can head west, even though it's to the northeast. You know, take the roundabout way. I can go any way I want and make any change, any detour I want. There is no right way to get between here and there. What's interesting that when a person takes a position that their way is the right way, What they're actually making up for is an inner belief that at one point in their life, they were told that they were smart, that they were dumb, they got something wrong. So they now go out of their way to prove that they're right, to validate, you know, raise their hand and say, I'm worthwhile. See, when people overcompensate, they're making up for a deficit somewhere in their psyche. Another behavior arises out of this, I'm not good enough, is the need for perfection, perfection and control. Now, control, there or the need to be in control or to micromanage others, micromanage the circumstances, how things play out, and where you might get upset if the plans go awry. That is based in fear. Also under this umbrella of control is being overly jealous or envious or needing to know the schedule, the agenda, the whereabouts of your partner or your children ad nauseum, like having to have a blow-by-blow and approving of what they do. And just to backtrack for a moment, when I said perfectionism just before control, perfectionism is a guise of control, controlling the outcome and not turning in anything unless it's absolutely perfect. But remember that this is an overcompensation for not being good enough. And so you're going to prove to others that you're good enough. Now, this is not necessarily, well, it is. It's a deficit. And this is why. I know someone that is a perfectionist. She's an engineer by trade. She's very good. She's an entrepreneur. She has her own business. She has a very successful business because she goes the extra mile. She does the extra work because she crosses you know, every T and dots every I. She makes sure that everything is done. She holds herself to a very high standard. Yet the reason this is a deficit, she has a lot of success. She's not satisfied with herself. She is not pleased with her performance. There's an undercurrent of not being enough. And ideally, you know, you have the drive, you have the achievement, you have a sense of excellence, and you can identify when you do a good job, when you're showing up, and pat yourself on the back. 
But this sense of satisfaction has to come from an internal sense or criteria. You have to judge it for yourself and not give in to the validation or outside validation, the validation of others. And a lot of times, you know, these high performers seek that outside validation, seek the awards, seek, and they get the awards. But even when they do, the awards aren't quite enough because who knows, like tomorrow, they might lose everything. That's the thinking behind it. Now, another behavior that is in alignment with the previous ones here is judgment, judging others, judging how they show up, judging their performance, judging them as a person. I don't know what criteria you're using, but you're basically putting yourself as above them. And this is the idea of one up, one down, where you need to push someone else down in order for you to feel better than, to appease your sense of self, your insecure sense of self. And you know, if this shoe doesn't fit you, you know other people in your life that are highly judgmental. They judge you. But you now know that they not only judge you, but they judge themselves without mercy. Because at their core, they don't feel good enough, so they need to put you down in order for them to feel a little bit better, a little bit more accomplished, you name it. And my friend, if you see this in somebody else, don't point it out. Don't say, you know, you're only doing that because you have low self-esteem. That doesn't go over well. You know, I've learned a long time ago that it's not polite to point out other people's unconscious behavior. And if you point out, like for somebody else, that they're being overly judgmental because they have self-esteem issues, you're basically saying, I also have self-esteem issues and I have to point it out to you to make myself feel better. And then this is just you proving yourself right. See, again, nobody wins in this scenario. Just take care of yourself. Address your own concerns for you. This is for you, not to point out to other people. Each and every person on the planet is on the cutting edge of their own discoveries. Once they bump up against something, once something doesn't work for them, then they can reassess. They can, you know, analyze themselves. But if you do it for them, it doesn't go over well. Believe me. The next behavior I want to talk about is the need to defend or the need to explain, which is to defend. When you feel attacked or when you feel someone is pointing the finger at you, there is a natural response to defend yourself, to be understood. But how often are you defending yourself? Do you feel like you're always defending yourself? As if there's this need to try and change the other person's point of view about you. When you're looking at this, also look at what is the source. Are you defending yourself to strangers, people that don't even know you, trolls on the internet? Do you get involved in these lengthy discussions with people you don't even know? Or is it just primarily the people that, you know, are intimate with, your family members or your loved ones? (laughs) Not that you don't love your family, but like your intimate partners. The other thing to look at is, Does it depend on who's saying something to you that you feel like you might need to defend? If people out in the marketplace, that's out in the general public, some random stranger says something to you that is, could be conceived as a personal attack, do you take offense? Do you try and defend yourself? Or do you just play it off like they don't know any better? They don't, like, I don't know them. 
<laughs> their opinion doesn't matter to me at all. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody has one. Or do you feel the need to defend, defend your public image or defend, like to prove them wrong? And then contrast that with a loved one, say your partner. If they say something that might seem like it's an attack or they're challenging a decision of yours or an aspect of your behavior, do you take offense? Or do you take a look at it and say, wait a minute, maybe they're right. Just look at from an objective point of view, the observer point of view. What's my initial response? Now, here's a tangent to that behavior in defending yourself to where you try and turn the tables. What do you mean, me? Let's look at you. You do this all the time and, and start pointing out to them all the times that they do it wrong or where they don't walk their talk. Do you try and turn the tables and misdirect or deflect the attention back to them? How dare they judge you? How dare they attack you? Remember, when your self-esteem is rock solid, there's nothing to defend. They're entitled to their opinion. All as wrong as it is, but, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. You know, what's interesting about all this is the law of attraction and how that factors in. When you have an aspect of your persona, an aspect of your self-concept that you feel is a deficit, even on an unconscious level, you tend to attract relationships that will draw that out into the open. That you can, so you can look at it and address it from a conscious point of view. The reason it comes to your attention, the reason our relationships are mirrors for us, is because if that aspect of your self-concept was handled, was repaired, was solid, then you would not be activated. You might notice it, but you would not be activated. You wouldn't be charged by the comment. And this is how our relationships are mirrors for us. Because whatever we need to work on will come up in relationship, will come up in business. Both relationships and business, I think, when you work for yourself, are the greatest sources of personal development because you are going to bump up against your perceived deficits. So just a quick recap here on these behaviors. Remember, these arise from fear. It's in the fight genre. So there's a certain amount of angst behind all these behaviors, defending, control, needing to be right, judgment. And if these behaviors are accompanied with, a, I guess, an intense anger or emotion, and a fiery emotion that's behind it, then it's a deep-seated insecurity. And this is where it takes a little bravery to look at yourself and ask, what is the source of this? Where is this coming from? What am I trying to defend? What do I need validated here? It's not the person you're having the conversation with. They might push your buttons, but they're your buttons. They're the ones that you haven't addressed in your past. And like I said, your relationships are the, the greatest personal development tool that you have for you. So when this situation comes up, when these emotions come up, it's time to take a step back and look inward, look at yourself. Practice self-reflection. So this is how you do it. And I've said it before, but I'll use a behavior that I used to have or an anger response that I used to have and still do on occasion. It's when I'm interrupted, I, I get angry. I've gotten 
horribly angry at times. And when I look at it, what am I making this mean? Ask the question, what am I making this mean? Like if someone steps over me, interrupts, like they have something to say. So it's, they consider it important. And so they just talk louder and talk over me. What I was making that mean is that I don't matter. Like what I have to say isn't important. And so they're going to talk over me and they, they're not even going to seek to understand my point of view. And it validated, it seemed to me, that I don't matter. And that made me angry. Sometimes, red in the face, bullheaded anger. To the point that that anger clouded anything that the other person had to say and turned off my ears. I didn't even want to talk anymore. So let me go over those questions again. One, what am I making this mean? Put another way, what am I afraid this is saying about me? And I said that, you know, I'm not important. My words don't mean anything. They're not interested in what I have to say. And you can use the next question. If that's true, if they don't value what I have to say, what does that mean about me? What does that mean about me? And that is, I'm not important. I'm not valuable. What I have to say is unimportant, which is no longer true. Now I can stand in the knowing that what I have to say is valuable. Even though the other person may not value it, it's valuable to me. Again, inner validated. So now when I'm interrupted, I take a step back. And as soon as there's a breath, I say, I have a differing point of view, but I want to hear everything you have to say. I just want you to listen what I have to say when you're done. Now, if I'm totally honest, this is a relatively new behavior that I've adopted, but you're never too old to learn a new trick. So based on this conversation, anytime anger comes up for you, defending yourself, needing to be right, prove a point, where that anger flares up, and this is where you take a step back, recognizing that the anger is disguising your fear. And what you want to do is pinpoint what are you afraid is being said? What are you afraid of being that's being stated? What does that mean about you? You see, ideally, you can move through the world without anger, without, a, a, you know, upset. Not that anger is bad, but anger in and of itself, just because you get mad because someone else has a different point of view, that's, that's not an enlightened conscious being. Not that you have to take the high road because I get angry at certain things, but recognizing that what can I do with this? Because that anger is fuel to do something. What do I want? What's my intention here? It's not to be right. You know, it's to honor a relationship, to honor a connection, to honor the other person. They have their point of view. I can have my point of view. I don't need to get mad to get my point of view across. Because when you get angry, your IQ actually drops several points. Like, you're not as smart. You're not as brilliant as you could be if you were positive and upbeat. That anger is an indulgence. And again, remember, it's covering up fear. Now, understand that all these behaviors here, that these aggressive behaviors, these fight, fighting behaviors, could fall in the category of the narcissistic syndrome or narcissistic tendencies. But know that if you can look at yourself from a witness point of view and see the impact of your behavior 
And is it working for you? Does it, you know, is it the way you want to be? If you can look at it objectively and begin to change your behavior, look at, you know, consider working around it, then you're not a narcissist. A true narcissist will not do the work to really look at themselves because they cannot identify this without it validating that they're not enough and they just can't stand that. So this narcissistic behavior, narcissistic tendencies arises out of a fractured self-identity, a very insecure self-concept. And so they resort to manipulation and defending and deflection, all these behaviors to undermine you, to make themselves look better than you, to put you down because They cannot let you rise above them because their self-esteem is so shattered. And frankly, I'm not sure if I totally buy the idea that if you're a narcissist, you cannot change. I think any person can transform any when they're committed, when you're willing. I mean, no one can change you unless you want to. But if you really want to, I don't care how bad off you are, you can shift, you can change. I have promised a deep dive episode on narcissism or narcissistic tendencies. Um, but frankly, it's not my favorite subject, and but it's prevalent in the marketplace. We're growing more and more narcissists all the time. And so I think it's almost my duty to talk about it at some point. It probably will be a month or so before I do, but it's coming up. So that's it for this series. And before I go, I want to leave you with an idea about manifesting and law of attraction. You create your reality to the degree that you're independent of the good esteem of other people. Like you just don't care what in the end, what other people want, what other people need, or what their point of view is for you. And this is one reason why I do the Aligned Self my signature coaching program, to arrive at a sense of self, a self-identity that is rock solid, you know, solid to your core, and that your beliefs and all your behaviors are in alignment with this way of being, your true self. But the, the moment you change your behavior in order to fit into somebody else's idea of who you are or what you could be, then you are no longer creating your reality you've stepped into their intention for you. So let that digest a little bit and just a point of self-reflection and ask yourself, how often do I change my behavior to fit other people's expectations? Now, if you're interested in the Aligned Self-Coaching Program, it may or may not be open for registration depending on when you listen to this. As I'm releasing this, it is open at the moment. You can learn more at yesdaniel.com, yesdaniel.com. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel DeNovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner directed as you live the epic adventure. (laughs) 